1968 Olympic Games in Mexico City. A guy called John Stephen Aquari from Tanzania was competing in the marathon. Early on in the race, however, he was bumped by another competitor and fell, banging his head and his shoulder and dislocating his knee. But that didn't stop him. After getting some quick first aid, he got up and kept on going. He was determined to finish his race. So this guy, even though everyone had finished, even though it was already getting dark and the stadium was beginning to empty, and even although he was in great pain, Aquari was committed to finish the race. That's because he said that he had been sent by his country not to just run the race, but to finish the race. And in his life and ministry, Jesus showed that very same commitment to complete the work that he'd been sent by his Father to do. And because of this, our lives can be transformed. And so this morning we're just going to celebrate that it is finished. And we're going to read from John chapter 19, verse 28, down to verse 37. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had finished the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with the spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells you the truth, and he testifies so that you may also believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Across the Gospels, there are seven recorded sayings of Jesus from the cross. And John records three of them. And the last of these is translated here as it is finished. In the original Greek language, it's only one word though. It is to tell a sky. It is a word that is full of meaning. For example, a servant would say to Telstai when they were reporting to their master that their work was done, that it was completed. And throughout the Gospels, Jesus made it clear that he came to complete the work that his father gave him to do. He said, I have not come down to do from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And everything that he said and did, he was obeying his father's will. And he was wholeheartedly committed to completing it. 
So much so that even uh, uh, the, the night before he went to the cross, Jesus could pray, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And so when Jesus declared from the cross to Telestai, he was declaring that his work was finished. That it was completed, as John says in verse 28, that Jesus knew that all was now completed. And that is because his death on the cross was not an accident. It wasn't a tragic mistake. Instead, it was the the focus, it was the goal of his mission. He was sent as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as John 1.29 says. He came as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, as Jesus said in John chapter 10. And so when Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit, as it says in verse 30 of our reading, he was finishing the work that his father gave him to do. He was being obedient, even to death, even to death on the cross. And you and I are called to have that very same mindset in our lives each day. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 says this, Consider him, that's Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I think many of us can be tempted to give up before we finish. Maybe when we start a healthy eating program, or an exercise program, or an online course, or a hobby, or a sport, or we start learning a new instrument, or learning a new language, or maybe we just start reading a a new book. Whatever it is, when we start, we can have bucket loads of enthusiasm and commitment. But sooner or later that disappears. We hit a difficult patch, we slip up, we get distracted, we miss a few sessions, and then we give up. But God doesn't want that to be the case in our Christian lives. We're not just called to start well, we're called to finish well. We don't honour him with initial enthusiasm in our Christian lives, but with enduring faithfulness. We are called to focus on Jesus, the one who completed the work his father gave him to do. And we are called to follow in his example by completing this race that has been marked out for us. And like Jesus, we are called to do this whatever it costs, however difficult it becomes. And that's because finishing what God has called us to do is always worth it. One of my favourite verses in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Following Jesus 
is always worth it. So to tell a story, announced that Jesus had finished the work that he'd been given to do. But it also indicated that Jesus had fulfilled the scriptures that spoke about him. To tell style might have been used by an artist as he painted a picture. He would stand back at the end and say, it is finished. The picture is complete. And at the start of this gospel, John declared that no one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. He came to show us who God is, his perfect holiness and perfect love. And the cross is the ultimate Revelation of this. It's where justice and grace meet. And one of the ways that we can see this is in the fulfilled scriptures. As John writes in verse 36, these things happened so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. That's why Jesus said, I am thirsty. Verse 28. The thirst was a common problem for the people who were being crucified. Hanging on the cross for hours in the heat of the day after so much blood loss would lead to severe dehydration. Especially for Jesus as he'd refused that pain-deadening wine that was offered. King David, many years before that, prophesied about that thirst when he wrote in Psalm 22. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. But this thirst points to more than just Jesus' physical sufferings. It also pointed to his spiritual suffering. Now you remember back in John chapter 4, when Jesus met that woman at the well of Sychar, he offered her living water. Not the the cool, refreshing water that was found in that well, but eternal life-giving water of a relationship with God through the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus said, John 4.14, Whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And Jesus offered that living water, that gift, not just to this woman, but to all who would believe in him. He said in John chapter 7, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. So how could the one who promised to be able to quench our spiritual thirst also be the one who is experiencing such desperate thirst himself? Well, that's because in those three hours of darkness, as Jesus was on the cross, Jesus took upon himself our sin. 
And he experienced that separation from the Father that we should have deserved. He experienced our hell. And so again, David, in, a, in another psalm, Psalm 69, in prophecy, he said, I'm worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. So in declaring his thirst here, Jesus was pointing us to the reality that he was being forsaken in our place. He was suffering what we deserved. He was experiencing that overwhelming thirst for God so that we could be satisfied with God. And this reality was further revealed by the soldier's response. Look at verse 29 in our reading. It says a jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on the stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Again, this is a really significant act. In giving this cheap wine vinegar to Jesus to drink, the, 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 the soldiers were again fulfilling the messianic prophecy in Psalm 69. David had written, they put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. But also, in using the hyssop plant to put the sponge on and lift it up to Jesus, they were again pointing to it, the deeper significance of what was happening here. That's because hyssop was used in the Old Testament. It was used in the Old Testament purification rituals. It was also used to put the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorway of the Israelite houses to protect them. So way back in Exodus chapter 12, it said, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and both sides of the doorframe. So we're again pointed to the fact that on the cross that day was the true and the ultimate Passover lamb. The one who was dying so that we could be cleansed in God's sight. And so we could be welcomed into God's presence. And this is also pointed to, this is also revealed through the other fulfilled scriptures in our passage. And this time they were not just fulfilled, they weren't fulfilled by Jesus in speaking, saying, I am thirsty. But they, were, they were fulfilled by the Jews and by the Romans after Jesus had died. So John chapter 36, in John chapter 19 verse 36, not one of his bones will be broken. A fulfillment of Psalm 34 and 20. And in verse 37, they will look on the one they have pierced, which is a fulfillment of Zechariah 12 and 10. Now we'll look at what those scriptures reveal to us in just a few minutes. But I want us to see what is happening here. These scriptures were written about 500 BC in the case of Zechariah, about 1000 BC in the case of the Psalms, and 1500 BC in the case of Exodus. 
And yet on the cross, Jesus fulfilled them all. What he did, what was done to him by others wasn't random. But rather it was the fulfillment of God's plan. As Peter declared at Pentecost, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And today for us, I think it's a really powerful reminder that God keeps his promises. So when we read the promises in our Bibles today, we can be encouraged to trust in them. To depend on each and every one of them. Even if we cannot see how they're being fulfilled. Because the Lord is faithful to all his promises. And he's loving towards all he has made. As Psalm 145 says. But more than that. This, these fulfilled scriptures. They also help us to realize that the cross of Jesus is the destination where all these prophecies were pointing to. The prophets revealed in part God's character, his holiness, his justice, his love, his grace, his power and his glory. But that revelation was completed in the passion of Jesus. Again, the book of Hebrews, this is how it starts. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. So the purpose of scripture is always to bring us to Jesus. He is the destination, not only of the fulfilled scriptures that we can read, but he is the destination of God's purpose for us. So that means that our lives need to be centered on Jesus. We need to put our faith in him. We need to trust in him. We need to follow him. We need to let him transform us and make us more and more like him. Our lives need to be all about Jesus. So to tell us die reminds us how Jesus finished his work and fulfilled scripture. But it also points to Jesus as the faultless sacrifice. In the Old Covenant, when someone was bringing an animal sacrifice, a priest would examine it to see, to make sure that it was without defect. And if it was faultless, he could declare to Telestai, it is faultless. And the day that Jesus was being crucified was a day of preparation. When the Passover lambs were sacrificed. And so verse 31 says the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. Now this wasn't just because they didn't want this unsightly distraction during their special religious 
festival. It was also because the law said that when somebody was executed, you must not leave his body on the tree overnight. You must not desecrate the land. That's way back in Deuteronomy, of course, before they even invented crucifixion. So the leaders asked Pilate to perform what was called the crurifragium. Now this was a brutal thing that happened. It was the smashing of the lower leg bones. That caused death of the people who were being crucified. That caused their death quickly. By shock, by blood loss. Also because they they could no longer breathe, because they could no longer push themselves up eh, and give give themselves a breath because of their legs being broken. In fact, in 1968, archaeologists found the skeletal remains of a crucified man. And his lower leg bones had been shattered by with a single blow. And so this is what the Jews asked Pilate to do to the three men who were being crucified there. And this time Pilate agreed. Maybe because he just wanted to keep them quiet and he didn't want to cause a, a riot in the middle of this Jewish festival. So the soldiers broke the legs of the two men on either side of Jesus. But crucially, when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Verse 33. Now one of the reasons for this was that after declaring to Telestai, Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit, as we read in verse 30. It was another demonstration that Jesus was in charge of everything that was happening here, even in charge of his own death. He decided when he was going to die. As he'd said previously about his life, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. But this also fulfilled Psalm 34, as we saw a few minutes ago. There's also something else here. This is also crucially significant because it points us again to the Passover. The regulations that governed this festival stated that when the lamb was sacrificed and it was cooked, it must be eaten inside one house, take none of the meat outside the house, do not break any of the bones. That's from Exodus chapter 12. And this pointed to the fact that, that back to the time when in Egypt the blood of the lamb was applied to the tops and the sides of the door the doorway to protect the people who were inside that house. And the promise that God gave was this. Exodus 12 verse 3. That when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you. When I strike Egypt. So on the cross, Jesus' bones were not broken. Because he is the true and the ultimate Passover lamb. And so if we put our trust in him, then we can know that God's judgment will pass over us. We won't be touched by it. Because we have been redeemed. We have been redeemed. Not with the blood of a little lamb or a goat or a bull, but with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. 
Now the Jewish leaders, they missed all of this. They just wanted to hurriedly get Jesus off that cross and they could get on with their feast and with his ritual and with his ceremony. They wanted to get rid of Jesus so they could enjoy the Passover. They wanted the sign, the symbol, but missed the salvation that it pointed to. They fail to realise that, as Paul said in Colossians chapter 2, verse 17, that these, that these celebrations, these festivals, these rituals, these sacrifices, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. And sadly, many people make that same mistake today. They go through all the religious rituals and ceremonies that in some way harken back to the Old Testament times and the Old Testament ways. And they think that all of these rituals and ceremonies will make them right with God. But they fail to come to Jesus and accept the sacrifice that he offers through his faultless sacrifice. So let's not do the same as that. Let's not focus on the shadow, on the symbol, on the signs today. And miss out on the reality. Instead, let's focus on Jesus and what he completed for us. And he died on the cross for us. There's just one more aspect of Tetelestai that I want us to see. Merchants would use this word when a bill was paid. Papyrus receipts have been found that, that had Tetelestai written across them. It meant that the debt was paid in full. When the soldier decided not to break the legs of Jesus, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. And as we saw earlier, this fulfilled the prophecy of Zechariah. But it was also deeply significant for John who saw it. He emphasised that his testimony of blood and water coming from Jesus' side was true. And it was a crucial part of the evidence that he was presenting in his gospel to bring us to faith. He testifies, verse 45, so that you also may believe. So what does this point to? Well, lots of people have different ideas about what the meaning and the significance of this blood and water coming from Jesus' side was. Some see it as a symbol of both our justification and our sanctification. Others see it as a symbol of the the gift of the Holy Spirit, that living water coming from the side of Jesus as as he died. Others see it as evidence, kind of physical evidence, medical evidence, that Jesus died of a broken heart, so that his pericardium was full of blood and serum. But whether that's, that those things are true or not, I think we can say with certainty the evidence that John presents here shows that Jesus was a real human being who died a real human death. And that is crucial. Because there were many in John's day 
who claimed that Jesus did not have a human body, that he was some kind of spirit being. But the humanity of Jesus is just as crucially as important as his deity. That's because only as fully God and fully man could Jesus die in our place. (coughs) Excuse me. Romans chapter 6 and 23 says the wages of sin is death. And so in order to rescue us from our sin, Jesus had to pay that debt. He had to die. He had to become sin for us, experience that separation from God that we deserve, and had to die in our place. This is what Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, 15 says. Since the children are flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil, and free or those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. And so when Jesus declared to Telestai, it is finished, and then bowed his head and died, he was declaring that our sins had been paid for in full. No other sacrifice is needed. No other priest is needed. No other altar is needed. No other payment is required. No other effort is necessary. It is done. It is completed. Our sin is paid for in full and will forever remain paid for. Our forgiveness is secure. Our salvation is accomplished because he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. And so today, folks, we can celebrate that it is finished. Jesus has finished the work that his father gave him to do. He has fulfilled scripture, revealing the Father to us. And through his faultless sacrifice, he has fully paid the price of our salvation. And so we don't need to do anything to earn it. We could never do enough good to deserve it. We don't need to have to be afraid of losing it. All we need to do is by faith accept it. So let's today again put our faith in the finished work of Christ. Receive the forgiveness, the salvation that Jesus paid for in full. Rest in that. Celebrate that Jesus declared it is finished. And live in the the, the, the joy and the freedom that Jesus won for us on the cross. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you. We thank you so much for this this declaration from Jesus on the cross that it is finished. Father, thank you that we can celebrate today that Jesus came to do your will 
to and to fulfill it and to complete it. And that he did. He was obedient even to death on the cross. We celebrate that, Lord. And Lord, we pray you'd help us to follow in his footsteps, to follow his example of completing the work that you've given us to do, running that race that you've marked out for us. Help us not to grow weary and lose heart. And thank you, Father, that he fulfilled the scriptures, that he is the, the culmination of all of the prophecies of scripture. They all pointed to Jesus. And we can, we can know that Jesus is your final word to this world. We don't need to go off searching for, for other, other truths out there in the world. We don't need to wait and, and, and wonder if there's something more. We know that Jesus is your final and full word to us. He is the, the fulfillment of, of your, your purpose and your plan for us. So Lord, help us to make Jesus the center of our lives to centre our lives on him, to follow him, to learn from him, to listen to him. But Father, we thank you that Jesus died as our faultless sacrifice. Thank you that he was the lamb without blemish or defect, the one who died to redeem us by his precious blood, so that we could be forever forgiven, we could be forever brought into your presence. Because Jesus fully paid for our sins. Father, thank you that they were paid for in full and they will, they're paid for forever. That we don't need any other sacrifice. We don't need any other priest or mediator or any other altar or any other ritual. Lord, thank you that Jesus is enough for us. So Lord, help us, each one of us, who have trusted in him, to rest on that truth, to live in the joy and the freedom of it. And if anyone is here today who hasn't put their trust in Jesus, Lord, I pray that they would, that you would help them to just accept it for themselves for the first time and enter into this freedom and into this forgiveness that Jesus paid for in full on the cross. They don't need to worry about it. They don't need to try to earn it. They don't need to be afraid of losing it. They can just rest in the salvation that Jesus bought for us through his death. Lord, we just thank you that it is finished. And we can rest in the finished work of Jesus this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.